This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. We're really glad to have you here with this week. And this week we're going to talk about something that is not related to which equipment piece that you might want to bring with you, which will be great cheers to some of our listeners. We're going to talk about sources of inspiration. In other words, what things we look at when we want to go and think about what's the next best source for our next adventure. We're going to go round robin and there's different things that we want to think are the best ideas. But I'm going to start off. I'm going to say that I think you should look on your game shelf. I mean, after all, Fringeworthy is a totally cross-genre game. So there's no reason why your next adventure can't be one of the other role-playing games on your shelf. We've talked for years that there's no reason why you can't have crossovers in the World of Darkness, the Talisania, D&D. Buck Rogers in the 25th century, all those are possible, and those are great settings. They're already fleshed out by very talented writers. Most of them have adventures already built into them. They just need a set of explorers to come popping into them and really make it interesting. Oh, yeah. And some of those games may use different rule systems, but, you know, you can always adapt. You want to use Hollow Earth Adventures, but you don't want to use their system. A lot of the critters and things in in those games are also available in D20 and in some of the various supplements. So you can easily get yourself your, your T-Rex and your uh, lizard men where you go in for your ventures to go against. And if using a different system or not worry about it, you can use Hollow Earth if you want to. What you should do is you should look at what is special about that system. What is it that that system lets you do that all the other systems don't, if there is anything? And if there is, then make sure you incorporate some kind of a ad hoc mechanics so you can include that. So if you've got some kind of regenerative property that isn't normally in the game, then make sure you include that. Let's say in, in Bureau 13, one of the big things that they have is this whole Bane tactic against the the supernatural. Most of the agents don't have supernatural powers, but they know that various materials are toxic to the various supernaturals. And then, so therefore, you you up against a vampire, he's three times stronger than you are, but you've got the holy water sprayer, you've got the garlic uh, bean bags out of your shotgun that hit and just whatever it might be. And of course, the uh, creature of the night special rounds that are the holy water packed silver-coated, compressed wood rounds. (laughs) Blast, of course. So, but I'm just saying that's something that's special to the game, and so you should make sure that you include that when you have that crossover into that world. You also don't have to do a whole lot of work if you don't want to. You can take your current game and just put the fringe pads in it, and then just allow the players to travel wherever they want to go. You don't have to really change anything. I mean, you might want to convert Mellers over. It'd be fairly easy. You can just read about them and to port that over. If you want to include Mellers, you know. If you want to, you don't even have to. You don't have to use Mellers, but I think they're too much fun not to use, but it's not hard to convert them over to any system, really. It's just, that's fairly easy. You might want to come up with some kind of package for IDET people, depending on what system you're playing. You might want to say, well, they, you want to write down what people from IDET would have learned training-wise, how that would affect the character. But other than that, really, there's not a whole lot to it. 
you have the French pairs and they do what they do, and that's pretty system independent. It's it's mostly about the concept of it all. Right. The world is what you're bringing the, your players into. And it, you can do it either way. You can play uh, the, the D20 modern system in that world, or you can turn around and, as Blake said, convert your characters over into the game system analog, whichever works for you. And just be a little, just be flexible and it'll be fine. And I know a lot of people have had lots of fun doing that sort of thing. I've seen Babylon 5 episodes with fringeworthy characters, lots of things. Like was uh, Fringeworthy on board the Enterprise. Not the USS Enterprise in the aircraft carrier, the Enterprise uh, old generation. You mean the classic Trek? Classic Trek, yes. But they had next generation. Of course, you had the previous generation, but you know, it goes without saying. Well, hey, look, you got classic Trek. That's not a stretch because they already are fine with time travel all the time. Mm-hmm. Not, that, not that Fringeworthy is time travel, but... The point of the matter is that you're still using the same kind of super science and that, like, for example, the world where they, they step through that portal and they go through time. I forget what episode that was, but... The same yeah. ninja forever. Yes. Yeah. I thought you meant the one where, you know, Spock was uh, went back into the Stone Age and found uh, Mario Hemingway. That one works as well. It wouldn't even be out of genre for you to stick a French portal in Star Trek. Really be Star Trek in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's lots of portals in Star Trek. And they have the mirror, mirror universe, they have other dimensions. Literally, you would be within genre doing that. Visited at least three alternate worlds. They visited the world with the 20s gangsters. They visited a world with Romans. Visited a world where, where World War Three was fought. Right. Right. They went to plenty of alternate worlds, even though they didn't want to say so. Yeah, they were alternate worlds, but they were just, as most fringe-worthy worlds are, they're just exaggerations from a common you know, separation point. And to be honest with you, that is the kind of thing you probably want to do a lot because your players will really enjoy that. It's it's not a cop-out, and you shouldn't have to feel like borrowing, as I like to call it, from the genres or other storylines. You should always do that because we watch these movies, we watch TV shows, read books, and we, we get immersed in them, and we'd like to think of what it's like to be in those worlds. What better way than to literally pretend to be in them with your characters? It's, I think it's natural. I think I enjoy it a lot. Oh, yeah. So games themselves are good, but also classic Trek or any of those other versions of Trek are also great inspirations. Don't forget, most uh, TV westerns were set in an alternate world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, heck, Star Wars is an other. (laughs) Because it it completely ignores science most of the time. Well, Star Wars is also a western. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. I thought it was a samurai flick. Ah. Well, I thought I thought it was a World War II flying ace movie. <laughs> it's all of them, man. The floor topping. I can think of two westerns that were samurai flicks. Well, there's don't forget the kung fu was a kung fu flick. You're talking about the television show Kung Fu. Yeah, well, they they were all part of the traveling genre. Well, you, you take the Magnificent Seven, right? That was oh. just seven samurai. Oh, yeah. And it's if you look at the credits of Magnificent Seven, they actually mention seven samurai. So these different genres cross over, and it's easy to just paint over top of it. It's a Western, but it's set in space. It's a space movie, but it's set in science fiction, but it's set in the Wild West. I mean, that's Deadlands is really science fiction. Yep. And they went totally that direction in, in the movie Oblivion, where they literally had an Old West town, but it had plasma streetlights, and there were uh, ceiling fans stuck up on poles all over the place to keep, cool the air down. The deputy of the sheriff was an android. It was the worst movie, Bruce. No, no, the second one was the worst movie. The first one was actually pretty good. Okay. 
But also, but don't forget, you also can do westerns. There's nothing wrong with doing a good old fashioned western or so. I'll come out and the portals and a mine shaft, some abandoned mine shaft or abandoned cave, someplace near near Deadwood <laughs> or Dodge City, depending on where you want to go to. Or Lonesome Dove, or yeah. any place else that you might want to name. It. Or the uh, Bonanza Ranch. Yeah. But I, I would say that this is best done, we should take note that this is best done with players who are willing to immerse themselves into the situation. What I mean by that is that it's more fun when the players go to, say, you know, a medieval-type world, or a Conan, you know, Hyperborea or whatever, and they don't run around with machine guns mowing everybody down because they have the superior firepower. They might reserve a handgun, a holdout pistol, in case things get hairy, or they might bring their guns and pack them up in case things get out of hand. But for the most part, they immerse themselves into the setting. If you don't have players that do that, this becomes a little harder. The whole point of cross-genre is they have to be genres that people like. If your players don't like westerns, don't do a western. Right, right. So my favorite, um, and my playing group is about to go into that right now, but my favorite genre is the, I like the, the old pulp science fiction. My understanding is we're getting ready to head to Mars. Uh, the, the Burroughs Mars and using Savage Worlds, I think I think the game master is going to mix in some Flash Gordon into that. I think he's going to do a sort of Mars slash Mongo type world. I wonder if he's actually using because there is a supplement out for yes. Mars. Yeah, there is. He has he's using it as partial base. He's going to use the maps and stuff like that, but he's he's going to change faces and names and stuff. Well, yeah. I'd also include some of um, Radbury's Mars as well. I just want, just wants to be able to fire that gun that fires the bees. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that, to me, that just sounds like that would be scarier than anything else. You, you someone shooting a shotgun, boom, boom. I don't care. I want to hear that? <laughs> Those bees coming for me. You know, I'm running. I'm, I'm totally demoralized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, just to see that bee hidden for you. That'd just scare the crap out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with let's start with Bruce. Like, what book would you like to play in? Ooh, book. Yeah, because I mean, we talked about movies and we talked about games, and we'll get back to that. But right. but like book wise, like where could you see good fringe worthy campaign taking place? Well, my favorite set of books, okay, has always been the Skylarker Space series, and I yes. sent you a copy of one. So, and there there is one part of it which is actually takes place near the galactic core, and it's called the Green System. It's a globular cluster. It's got hundreds of star systems, all so close you would be able to travel from one to the other without even having to go faster in light. I mean, they're that close to each other, and there's hundreds of stars, hundreds of planets. Now, they're all based on copper, so all the food is poisonous. And still, it's a place where all the classic traffics of the pulp, where the, the women and men are all perfect specimens. They run around wearing nothing but jewels, and they have all kinds of cool super science-type devices and guns and flying spaceships and crackling rays and, and scintillating shields when they get hit, and the whole deal. And it's great. They're all very noble because lying and things like that is a sign of moral and mental weakness. And they're, of course, put to death as soon as they're discovered. So (laughs) so when a bad guy doesn't like you, he says, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. Okay, uh, nice to know. (laughs) And he's just being upfront with you. It's a threat. It's a real threat. But I'm just saying is that bad guys are bad guys and good guys are good guys. And it's kind of it's fun. It's uh, I really enjoyed the series. Uh, They went all over the place at the end of it. They actually 
they destroyed a galaxy by using two other galaxies. and It got pretty epic at that point. Wow. Who was he again? It's called the Skylark Space Series by E.E. E. Doc Smith. E.E. E. Doc Smith. Uh, okay. Yes. And, and, of course, it violates a ton of natural laws. Of like They travel faster than the speed of light just by using acceleration, at which point they say, I thought there was a law against that. It says, well, it was a theory, not a law, and I guess it's wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. So that's yours. I'm a Burroughs guy. Uh, John, what do you suggest? Well, this one actually is kind of interesting because it's, it's more a future novel, but it's, uh, it was an interesting world put out, created by Ken McLeod. He's actually a noted transhumanist. And the series I would actually would use is his Fall Revolution or the Stones, the Star Fraction universe, which basically they travel. It's sort of a semi-libertarian type, libertarian uh, utopia. But Ken doesn't write utopias. He actually writes you know, dystopias. So while he's a mm-hmm. transhumanist, he doesn't write happy-go-lucky with nanites. Right, uh, the cyberpunk guy. Yeah, he's more cyberpunk, but I think he's British or he's Irish. But Mac Lloyd, M-A-C, is that Irish or is that Scottish? Scottish. Scottish, he's a Scottish. What's interesting, though, is that Star Fraction, is a Fall Revolution series, has an alternate history novel. One, uh, there's actually four novels in the series, one of which is an alternate history hmm. of the events that happened in, in the second novel. Oh, wow. He actually decided to write a totally different history. What was that series? It's called The Fall Revolution, but if you look mm-hmm. for Ken McLeod, put Amazon.com link for it. Okay. Um, it's a great little series. Like I said, he's a transhumanist, but like I said, he's a realistic transhumanist. Actually, the first novel I ever read of his was, get back here again, get his name proper, uh, Newton's Wake, which takes place in a post, post-nanoclipse universe. There was the nanoclipse, but humanity survived, and now they travel around using wormholes, and they think they found some aliens, but they're not quite sure. Now I'll leave mm-hmm. it at that. <laughs> Newton's Wake is an interesting story concept along with the uh, Star Fraction series uh, Newton's Wake you're dealing with a post nanoclip society well there's, there's a lot of oddities going in that world uh, things that maybe Fringeworthy would love to exploit it also can bring up questions as well as for one thing death is not permanent in this universe if you have a good recording of your mind you can get a new body and you can come back from from dying from a recording, basically. The question is, will you be fringeworthy if you do that? People do worry about dying, especially if they don't have a recent recording. But if you got a recent recording, they're probably a bit more thrill-seeking than you would imagine. Coming back from that, it, you know, maybe a bit minor pain, but it, you know, you can at least come back from that. Uh, the story does follow two people who have been dead for like about a couple of centuries, and then brought back. Because they were interesting by the locals. A strange concept. So, John, would a fun version of that be, you know, where the, the French, where they go through the portal and they do the mind transfer and they actually wake up in that cloning facility, each person in a different body? Or for some reason, when they came through, maybe their information, maybe the, the French portal has gotten a link, link to it. Because you can easily imagine this was, uh, from America, Newton's Wake takes place possibly a thousand or so years in the future. But it's quite possible that there may be a connection from the fringe gate to their system, the Miller set that the Tamelon set up. Look, yeah, they see a good thing, why not hook up? Hook into mm. it. So it's quite possible that Link is there. And step through, you, you basically do a mind transfer, and it grows you a new body. Yep. For that matter, it could have been part of the Commonwealth. They might have shut themselves off. Perhaps you go to the portal and you open it up with your crystal, and you go through, and it reactivates a system that they forgot about. We don't actually suggest you actually 
play in that world. Because be honest, most novels are great to read. They suck trying to play in. But use it as a jumping off point for the ideas. In Newton's Wake, they believe they have found an alien artifact, and there's a minor war going on between the various factions. They use wormholes to travel around in this universe to go from one place to another. Space combat, you know, space war combat, basically whoever gets there first with the mostest usually controls the high ground at that point. People usually don't worry too much about getting killed because they usually have a good backup uh, waiting for them. Uh, in the Star Fraction, it's a little bit different. There was a nanoclipse, but it didn't actually kill everyone. It was more like the, the, those ascended said, buy suckers, and left. I went to Jupiter, and that's where they set up shop. And then they formed a wormhole and decided, let's go see where the end of the universe is. They should have hit the end of the universe at some point, and according to the, uh, the story, they haven't. But along the way, they made a branch and dropped off a glop of nanomachines and stuff on a habitable world and you have this strange world where where people are and nanomachines sort of live together but not well together but there's there are some sending machines but for the most part the nanomachines are wild creatures and you stay away from them and the story revolves around a fellow who is grown from scratch and his memories mm-hmm. and plants so this is another common theme there so in this one there actually is a uh, alternate world version of this in one of the novels, where the events that would lead to this happen differently and different things happen. It's an interesting story, and actually that's the third novel, well, that, that alternate world novel would be just as interesting to visit. Ken McLeod, he's a post-human writer, he also is sort of a quasi-communistic libertarian. So, Peter, what do you, yes. wh- wh- where, where would you want to go today? <laughs> okay, well, I have three. I'll keep them kind of brief, being that I have three. And I'll start old school. I like the world of Shannara. I think it's an interesting world. The books themselves could have been better, but I like the world. It's a fun world. The writing is... It's all right. But I do like the stuff they created. I like the fact that it's way in the future, and but it's still kind of fantasy. But I like the flying machines, and I don't know. I just I think it's kind of a it's kind of neat if you want to go fantasy. And I think being that it it has a lot of science elements to it, it plays into Fringeworthy quite well. People who are into RPGs and stuff probably already know about the the Shannara series and probably have read it. And if you haven't, check it out. Don't be uh, over enthused to, to you know because it's been around for so long. You, you might think it's better than it than it really is. Don't get your anticipations too high. <laughs> but I mean, it's all right. And then I like S.M. Sterling's Alternate Earth. It takes place in the 80s, but their space program got started earlier, and they wound up going to, to Venus, and they wound up going to Mars, and it turns out that there's life on those. Of course, they're alternates. They're just neat the way he developed that. Kind of a throwback to Burroughs, but not quite as fantastic. It's uh, a lot more believable. I thought it was a really fun book. I, I really liked um the first one. The Mars one was a little tougher. It was a little more, I don't know, what would you call it? Did you read it, John? Well, actually, I'm like halfway through it right now. Yeah. It's a little dry. It's a little drier than the other one. The other one was sort of like well, more Burroughs. I'm halfway through the Sky People. Oh, Sky People. Okay. Yeah, I like that one. That one's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I like that for um, a mid-sci-fi kind of feel, you know, because. It's sci-fi, but it's not like high fantasy sci-fi. It's not, you know, it's not Star Trek-y or Star Wars-y. It's, it's, um... Rocket it's, Punk. Yeah, it's like Rocket Punk, right, exactly. And, and that's a really fun world to be in, but I'll tell you, 
one of the books I read that would make a great world, but I tell you, again, it's another author who his writing is kind of dry. His story is kind of dry. It's almost like a, um, it's almost a travel log is uh, Kevin J. Anderson's saga, The Seven Sons. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, and the world that he creates is really cool. I mean, he makes this really cool world, and he goes into a lot of detail. The stories themselves are a bit lackluster. I mean, the characters and stuff are kind of eh, and it just jumps from character to character, and it's kind of like um, kind of like a report more than a story. But but the world is fantastic. I, I would love to play in that world, and that's a high that's like a high science world. And some of the stuff he's come up with are really you know, some of the ideas he's come up with are really cool. Um, I like his alien races, and, and I like the way he's developed them. And he gives you a lot of politics and a lot of what's going on in the world, so it, it makes for a great fringeworthy campaign, I think. So those would be my books. Okay, I only had the one book, so I'll, I'll chime in with a little bit more. A couple of things I wanted to say here, and as, as Blix so excellently said, we don't want you to go and take a book and say, okay, let's model the adventure after the book. What we want you to do is we want you to say, what is cool about this story? What is interesting about this world? Because when you're making fringeworthy adventures, you know, you're trying to create a sense of outworldliness, uh, bizarreness, mystery, even kind of a a wow factor so you're looking for these stories to say what is really cool and interesting about them that i can use in a story and and the second thing that you want to look for is really interesting characters because you know it's a role-playing game and some of these books have these really larger than life but yet still highly believable characters and those are the kind those are gems those are things you want to bookmark and say yes i absolutely need to bring in this character i mentioned the scarlet Arca space series blackie duquesne what a great villain he's the gentleman villain He's just as interesting as anybody else. And so when you talk about interesting characters and things, one of the books that comes to mind to me is the Xanth series by Piers Anthony. Oh, my God. (laughs) Total fantasy grants you, but everybody's got a special power. All the stories are about the people. It's almost never really about whatever the thing that they have to do that's almost an afterthought. And so it's a great way of finding really interesting characters. Another a series of books, Phil Jose Farmer's Gate series, Gates of Creation, because here's a super race who have created their own worlds. Each one has their own world, and some of them are not totally finished either. So the laws of physics aren't quite normal, or things aren't quite only holding together because there's processes in the background holding them together. Like one world, the land is constantly elongating and squishing together, and they have to cross it. I mean, that's a a kind of a world that you could really wow your characters with, uh, your players. So that's what we're talking about. Also, when we talk about cross-genre, you know, we, we want you to pull in the genre. You know, try to learn what it is that makes a Western a Western, makes a science fiction a science fiction, makes a police procedural a police procedural. Make sure you dig into that and get your players involved in that because that's, of course, another thing that makes them interesting because they'll resonate these kinds of things, the sounds of the, of the wind and, and the tumbleweeds, uh, even the sounds of crickets at night. Okay, those kinds of little touches really cause the story to resonate with the players and they get a real sense of being there. And, and that's important. Those two sets of stories I would definitely recommend to anybody as meat 
for them to dig into to use for their own adventures. It seems to me that some of the best worlds to adventure in are the ones with the weakest character development because the author goes into a lot of time developing the world. He doesn't concentrate on the characters nearly as as much as he does the world and the setting and everything. So he creates this really great world to play in. So that benefits us as gamers. As a reader of their book, sometimes you, you feel left a little wanting. You know, you may even come out of the book and say, you know, that was a really great book. Not because the story was good or not because the characters were great, but because the world was fantastic. I saw Avatar and I love the world. The story was kind of eh. It was all right. I mean, you know, it wasn't horrible. It was okay. But I was just unbelievably impressed with the world itself, the science that went into the development of it. And I think. That's where a lot of these books come from that, that, that would be great for Fringeworthy Adventures. It's the kind of books you should look for to have adventures in. Plus, if, if the heroes didn't do anything really super great or they weren't really great heroes, that's your opportunity to be those heroes you know, because there's a void. There's a need for these fantastic characters, and, and your party has a chance to fulfill those roles. You know, Don't be like the hero. Be the hero. Yep. John, did you think of Thomas Covenant, John? He was a less than desirable character. He wanted go. to reach into the pages and strangle the life out of him the second he got to the land. The giants with their ship out of stone, and when they put up a mast, they just smeared stone on the bottom and turned it solid. So now they had a, 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 they fixed their mast, which was <laughs> stone. <laughs> you know, those guys were great. It's the Lord Dark all the, the, the entire story, you know. Oh, forget him. Nobody <laughs> cares about him. Okay, but all the weird stuff, the places they had, you know, all the races and and the blood power and the earth power and all those things. Yeah. That was a very interesting setting. I I agree with Blix in that regard. Oh, I do too. I think it was a wonderful world. Just that our POV character is the last person I would ever want to be my POV character. There you go. That's the point we're making here, John. Best books for mining for fringeworthy ideas are going to have terrible characterizations or terrible narratives. Okay, so I personally think that there are a lot of books that have great characters, and I want to use them, but that's okay. You know, some of those books have terrible stories, and they also have terrible worlds, but they have the really large and alive characters. I have problems with characterization, John. I have a tendency to play the same guy as the general or. The tribal leader or whatever. So anything that I can find that gives them flavor, somebody I can kind of talk through his mouth, that's going to help me a lot. I'm very much looking at books in those regards. You know, we talked about books. We're talking about regular like literature and such. What about comic books? Do you guys have any comic books that you think uh, would, would fit the bill? Actually, I mentioned this before in our, in our uh, Fringe in Space episode, The Ministry of Space graphic novel. It's a rocket punk universe and be an absolutely wonderful universe to actually to visit, though it has lots of problems. And I recommend reading, you know, at least if you're a GM, to read the novel to understand what the problems are that in that universe. But it's a rocket punk universe where they use nuclear rockets to launch our Woomera Australia to go into space. <laughs> right, right. The only one I would recommend would be the Cerebus comic book because it actually was a graphic novel right. and it had you know all kinds of history and warring factions and political stuff and it was very funny because of this main character was a cartoon character in the middle of photorealistic people i like that but most comic books i've read are so firmly entrenched in the superhero genre that unless you're looking to do a superhero story they're not much help we made a superhero world it was a DC Marvel crossover, 
But what we did is we cranked the heroes way down, really, really pulped them out so that, you know, Iron Man's suit, it was an armored suit, and he could do jumps. He could do assisted jumps. It was a lot like uh, the Iron Man movie with the first suit that he had, the one that he built in the cave. Yeah. A, a little more high tech than that, but really in that vein. And that one was far more high tech than the one he actually had in the comic book. Right. Yes, it was. Because in the comic book, all he could do was punch. Right. But that's that's pretty much what we did. We did with the whole Marvel Universe. We, we cranked everybody way, 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 way down. You know, uh, the Hulk came out more like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from from actual literature, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He was more like on that level. Superman was kind of a jackass. You know, he was he was really egotistical and arrogant. And uh, they had in, in the Hall of Justice, they had this torture room. And he had the hot cold room where he went, when he wanted to get information from somebody, he would give him hot cold. Hot cold. It was actually kind of hilarious. Not much of a paragon, huh? Right. No, no. We bent them all up. And, and it was a really fun universe to do. So, I mean, if you ever want to do something with that vein, you just have to just kind of tone them way, way down, you know? It makes Superman a really strong guy, but a just a really strong guy. And then, you know, treat his skin like Kevlar. And then, you know, you haven't really created Superman. You've created a guy who's, you know, he's, he's pretty bad. You know, he's pretty tough. Um, the original Superman, the one yeah. whose, whose skin could only be penetrated by a 20 millimeter shell. Right, right. And, and you know. Who couldn't fly. Who had to who jump. Did literally right. Who could jump, things. yeah. And that's what we did with him, and we had a lot of fun with that. And if you do the same thing, you can you can take uh, my favorite comic is Wanted, um, the comic, not the movie. And the movie was awful, but the comic Wanted was really cool because they they took the concept that they the villains won and changed the universe. You know, made it so that people forgot that there was ever heroes or villains, and they were running the universe. And you could extrapolate that idea. You don't have to make them super. You could make it like semi super. And, and go into a universe where all of Earth is run by these kind of more powerful, uh, maybe they got some minor powers or whatever, villains. And, you know, maybe your heroes will go in there and turn everything around. Or, you know, maybe you'll get in there and have to run for your life. Right. Well, you want to give your players something to do. Right. And your players are probably going to be playing fair, heroic type characters. So they're going to be able to do some things, right. but they're not going to have the super powers that would be in that world but that still doesn't mean that they have nothing to do right and, and you don't like again you don't have to make the villains super super powerful you make them a little more powerful uh you don't run more than one or two of them at the party at one time but sure. superheroes can be done you just gotta you gotta be intelligent about it and you just gotta make sure that you're not overpowering the party with them well rich vex um brat pack series was about a group of superheroes who actually didn't have any superpowers. They had one superpower, and that was there was actually a super being, and they'd gotten some of his blood and injected themselves with them, and so they were radically regenerative. They ran around doing all kinds of outrageous things because they couldn't die. Everyone thought they had all these powers, but in fact is it was all either through some device or something else that they did, and they were in undefeatable because no matter how times times you hit them, they just stood back up again, and so they were always able to win. The comic was all about the relationship between the superheroes and their sidekicks and how it was uh, basically uh, fundamentally abusive. It was interesting to read because it really took the whole superhero thing on its head. Here was a relatively underpowered superhero type situation where they appeared to be much more powerful than they were simply because of all the 
not attributes, but uh, accessories that they gave themselves. And these were accessories that could have been gotten by almost anybody with a little bit future science going on. At the very end of it, that was one of the things they talked about was they needed money because their superhero car needed an overhaul, and those don't come cheap. Right. That kind of reality, unlike most of the superhero type things where they destroy their super vehicle and they just walk into the garage and unzip the next better version of it. I'll make one more suggestion of a comic. It might sound kind of odd, but I get it every month, and it, it always has great world. Not not every episode, but um, it's Heavy Metal Magazine because they have different stories from different authors all the time. There's always new worlds and stuff that you can get in there, and they're not like highly defined, but they can give you an idea of, of, of a world to run. And they generally don't deal in like superpowered beings or anything like that. It's, it's more of a drama, but sci-fi, kind of sometimes horror. And because I get to see... You know, all kinds of different talent, all kinds of different influences. One issue a couple of years ago was the best steam space punky kind of thing. It was like a pulp space punk thing, and it was it was really awesome. I can't even remember the name of the story, but it gave me a cool idea for some of that stuff. It's a good magazine to, to mine for ideas. Heavy Metal is a magazine that uses authors and artists from all over the world. You don't have this kind of parochial American slant in every story. You actually get to see things from a German or a Russian or a Yugoslavian or even a Chinese point of view. If you're talking about comics, Tintin and his adventures. It's an old Belgian comic, but it's, it's great. Tintin has all these adventures. He even goes to the moon. They're sort of kind of in the old pulp tradition, but they're also not quite in the pulp tradition, too, on top of that. They're sort of in between. I don't think I've ever read that comic. I'll check it out. I'm actually in the library. Now, if you're talking about odd universes to go to, and these are definitely our other universes, we're still talking comics, but let's talk about the funny animal comics. Asterix? Well, not Asterix. He's talking about the furry comics. Oh, Sorry. Well, not very comics. Like Get Fuzzy, a universe where you you have pets, but your pets can talk to you. Uh-huh. You can have conversations with them, and you and people still eat animals, but the animals talk back. It's a strange little universe to visit. I thought you were talking about like Delgado, where the main character is essentially a humanoid lion. It sounds like you could use the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a setting as well in that same vein. What do you want to talk about now? TV shows, movies. Let's talk about some movies. What are the movies that I thought would be real good sources? And a lot of them were all based on the Jules Verne stories. Okay. The ones that I was most impressed with were not the more recent ones with all the flash, but the old ones, the serials, and the ones that were made way back close to the 1900s because they had all kinds of really interesting twists on things. In particular was Mysterious Island, which was a serial made back in 1948. It included pirates, cannibals, a princess from Mercury, you know, the planet. (laughs) These particular ones will go in directions that you won't be expecting because they haven't been manufactured by the current Hollywood Studios thing where you have to have certain things happening at certain times and the hero's got to be like this and he's got to have something else and it, it always has to have a happy ending. Right. A lot of these early renditions of these stories were much more daring, if I may use that term, and they weren't afraid to be politically incorrect and do a lot of things that you'll find will stimulate your players versus just you know the same old standard 
plots that you see so many times in Hollywood movies. Journey to the center of the earth. There's an earth that you can actually travel to the center of the earth. You can use hollow earth for that. Yeah. Especially when Fringe really goes to Savage Worlds. Let's talk about TV shows. Wait a minute. I didn't do a movie. I've always been a real big fan of the alien universe with Predator mixed in. Except I would extrapolate one further and I would throw Blade Runner in there. And I would have the team come through in the Blade Runner universe. But that would also be the beginnings and maybe even getting really close to Aliens time. If you remember, in Blade Runner, they talk about going out into deeper space. The space colonies. You could bring in those other two elements, and you've got a really rich world. It's cyberpunk, but it's beyond cyberpunk. You're getting space travel. You could use the systems portals for that, and you could travel to those different colonies and stuff. And I guess my point is you could do a lot with that, because then you could have the prime being the Earth in Blade Runner time, and then you could have the alternates being different versions. You could, you could have the, the Predator. You could have, further in the future, aliens. Alien versus Predator universe. Right. You, you could do that. For the alternates, you could have all different versions of that. And then you could go out to the system, and then you'd have all the different stars they travel to in Blade Runner, all the different colonies and stuff that they had. I'm a big cyberpunk fan. I'm like big into the, the space travel. And that would be my favorite movie genre type of thing to run. So what about TV shows, John? The Wild Wild West universe. The TV series, not the movie. Though the movie's not that bad either. Yes, it is. <laughs> the movie was horrible. <laughs> TV show was far better. Oh, okay. If you take the characters and that crappy story out of the Wild Wild West movie, um, great world. Absolutely. Uh, Briscoe County is in the same vein as Wild Wild West. If you take... Wawa West, and you combine it with Briscoe County Jr. and Legend, which starred Richard Dean Anderson, then nobody's going to know wh- where you're stealing this stuff from. And it's all really cool, emerging, weird science kind of stuff. And you're combining your Western tropes with your science fiction, weird science kind of stuff, and your Jules Verne. It all works together in this, we don't know what we can't do, so we do it anyways kind of concept. And those are great for pulpish type worlds. Bit more pro sig, the prisoner. Yeah. Either versions of it. They are definitely both uh, creatures of their own time. I'm sure that somebody would want to get their hands on that giant ball that chases people down and, and smothers them into unconsciousness. It's called Rover. I want that for when the Jehovah Witnesses come up to my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You actually can go to the village. It is an actual real place. Hotel Port Marion in England. And they have a regular convention there uh, every year for the prisoner. So if you want to go there and have some fun, there's a place to go. That sounds pretty cool, actually. So what have we not hit on yet? We, we did books. We did TV shows. We did movies. Um, any, anything else? We really haven't talked about the staple of, of science fiction type adventures. And that is disaster genre. Ooh. Well, recent one, 2012, but that's sort of like a campaign ender, though. Okay, you walk through the portal and the disaster's just happening. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's a good thing you weren't held up by anything or you would have missed the entire mission. Yeah. You can always hit the aftermath. There are two meteor movies, Armageddon, Deep Impact. Deep Impact actually is a post-apocalypse because they did have an impact in the Atlantic Ocean, wiped the, the eastern seaboard. 
if you wipe out the eastern seaboard of the United States of America, you've taken out oh three quarters of the population. <laughs> Something like that, right? And all the major financial and governmental facilities. That's a major hit. And of course, you've taken out Europe as well, because that tidal wave is going to go both ways. Maybe Germany might survive because it's got England in the way to stop the tidal wave. But France is going to get hit. Spain's going to get hit. Portugal's going to get hit. You can't talk about disaster movies without mentioning Damnation Alley. That That's a cool world. It's a post-nuclear war universe. And the world shifted its axis a little bit. So everything's kind of screwed up. Right. They've got a jet stream about 100 feet above the ground. It literally rips uh, mountains to bits. You can't fly planes because you'll just get scooped up. There's There's constantly stuff falling out of the sky. And I mean big stuff. I mean... Not just toasters, but buildings, cars, schools of fish. And then you've got tornadoes, multiple tornadoes, sucking stuff back up into it. So this is a world that's constantly being eroded and dumped upon, literally, uh, by its ecosystem. You want to show how old we are? Sure, go ahead. Post-apocalyptic. Thundar the Barbarian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a comet breaks the moon in half. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know why. I, I can't even watch the other. It's horrible now. But when I was a kid, it was awesome. I don't know. That's just funny. Waterworld. Give me the Exxon Valdez the title character. It's a great little world to visit. <laughs> You're right, John. It is. It's, it's a great world. The movie sucked. You know, the story was kind of lame and, and the acting. Eh. But the world itself is a great world. Your portal would appear at one of those floating trading posts. It would be a warm. And as soon as the water rose up so high that everything was covered, uh, it would start skating around the world until it ran into something that it could stop on. And that would probably be one of those water places. And if they moved, they would move slow enough that the warp could keep up with it. Uh, As far as I know, they they don't actually use any anchors on those things. They just get pushed along by the currents. Yep. And the only bit of dry land is the Himalayas. I've never seen the extended version. They actually actually say what that is? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Mount Everest. Ah, okay. It's the only bit of dry land. <laughs> right. Which, it's, again, makes it another. Yep. Because there ain't that much water on the world. <laughs> no, you could, you could melt everything we have, and it wouldn't even be close to that. No. But if you read the story, The Rings of Ice, they went out and they took ice from other worlds, and they brought it back to Earth, with the idea of creating lenses so that they could create sol- use solar power. Mm-hmm. They're going to use these big lenses of ice to concentrate heat on various places they wanted to like make Antarctica into uh, a tropical paradise, but also to power these, these uh, orbital stations. Well, they screwed up, and the ice didn't go into orbit. It just fell right into our atmosphere, and then for like a year, they had nothing but rain. Uh-huh. They didn't get as far as the Himalayas or Mount Everest, no. But they did completely cover Florida. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not hard. That's not hard to do, no. <laughs> to say is that that's a, that's a lot of water. You're raising the water level th- you know, three or four feet. Oh. That's a, still a lot you of water. You could buy Florida. So, yeah. yeah. Well, considering the highest elevation in Florida is, what, 100 meters? <laughs> Something like that. Right. right. That's still a lot yeah. of water. That's a ton of water. Yeah. People were starving because there was no crops. <laughs> Yeah. 
I consider it to be a really bad uh, post-apocalyptic movie where they don't get rid of the people, and so they start turning on each other and, and starving, and it's really ugly and messy and nasty. I, I much prefer clean post-apocalyptic movies where 99% everyone dies. Yeah. Now, does zombie plague fit into your disaster? Uh, your, your... Yeah, because it's going to ruin most of the people right away. Uh, zombie plagues, uh, and there's lots and lots of movies about that, but almost all of them are pretty poor. Mm-hmm. So you have to be real careful about that in the sense that you have to say, all right, so what would be an interesting scenario? And I've actually run two or three scenarios on a world where a zombie plague went off. And that was one of my first questions was, okay, how do I you know, make this interesting? And the ideas I came up with was, one, explain the zombie plague. Uh, two, all these people are trapped in this giant building and you've got to get food to them. Which, by the way, my players failed to do. They all starved to death. <laughs> uh, you know, they said, well, we don't think we can do that, so see ya. And they just left and didn't go back. Yeah. They didn't want to see what was going to ha- happen there. And then the third thing was where they just literally went down the road and they found some people that were had been holding out for a, a, a year or so, and they finally ran out of food. And, and, or the, and they, just were, they were going crazy. Some of the stories talk about how if you're a normal person, you have to hear the sound of moaning and screaming by these unearthly type creatures all night long, all day long for years. Sooner or later, you're going to crack. Right. And so that was partly about these people who were who were human, but they were going totally nutso because they were just they were just tired of listening to the zombies. So most of the time, what you're going to be dealing with, I guess, on most and that's what most stories are about, is where you have a group of people who've been able to maintain for a while unless of course it's the it's the night of story where that's what most of them are it's like it, it just happened we're trying to survive we're trying to get through the night but that's not going to be a great story because it's the same problem you're dealing with you have to deal with the aftermath so you're going to be looking at people who are survivalists or uh, are in some place where they can defend but something's happened they've run out of food something is broken there's a group, another group of humans that have been forced out of their safe place and they're trying to take over somebody else's safe place because they need a safe place. <laughs> right. So that's the kind of scenarios you have with that, the, the Night of the Living Dead. Kind I would go with the 28 Days Later scenario, you know, where it's a virus infecting people and they're not, there's not, they're not really undead, they're just infected people. You mean and, 28, and, 28 Portals Later? No. <laughs> right. No, but, but the reason why I like that is because when you take somebody through a portal, they're cured of the virus. So even if you get a party member who's a f- infected by the virus, you could, you know, knock him out, wrap him up in a body bag or something, restrain him somehow. And then when you drag him back through the portal, eventually he would be cured. So it wouldn't be a character killer. He'd be like totally feral. He'd be going after the rest of the party tooth and nail. Right. That could be interesting. It will cure him of the virus. It may not cure him of any damage it may have done to him. So he well, I, still, I know. He may still be a bit feral. It may right. take a while for him to, to heal up again. That's that's true. No, I understand that. And that, But I'm saying the point is it's not a character killer. And in that scenario, they would have to be not so feral that they couldn't even feed themselves, which is what they had in the first movie. Right. Now, an interesting universe, though I think the players may not consider it so interesting if, if they happen to be un- get caught in the wrong spot, is the kaiju universe, i.e. Godzilla. Yes, I was going to suggest that. Yes, Godzilla is a great choice. But it is a universe that's really dangerous to be in if you happen to be in Japan. Tokyo is, I think, is rebuilt how many times? 
Yeah, it's flattened. Well, no, actually, Tokyo is not flattened every movie. It's actually Godzilla flattened several places in Japan. They come up with some really nasty weapons like the black hole gun, where they can actually fire black holes at Godzilla. Jeez. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Somebody actually went to the effort of trying to make a scientific basis for Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Godzilla is, according to, to the website, is a radiovore. His body converts radiation into matter. So the whole problem of the you know cross-section inverse square law thing where he's too big to possibly be able to stand and all this sort of stuff like that, he basically gets, gets away with that because he's constantly rebuilding his muscles and his tissues, which is also why they can beat the, uh, the snot out of him. And he just shrugs it off because every time they blow big chunks of flesh off of him, he just regenerates it because his body is literally filled with uh, radioactive particles. They give a rationale why Godzilla could be so big mm-hmm. and why Godzilla can continue to live and why he's affected by things that damp down radiation. Yep. And if you go with that, I mean, it's yeah, it's loose science. You know, it's not really hard science here, but at least it's some kind of a rationale where people go and say, okay, so there's a type of creature that could exist if this was true. I don't think it'd be any help at all taking it back on the French bed, <laughs> but it, it would make a world where you could have some of these giant monsters running around yep. and engaging in huge combats. And this would be something where you wouldn't have to worry about it happening once because Godzilla is always going to come back. Recently... On, on the cable channels, there have been a couple shows that take place during B.C. times, you know, right around B.C., the show Rome and uh, Spartacus. The reason why I bring these up is because they do a pretty good job of depicting what life was like in that time. So if you're watching those two shows, it makes it a lot easier for the players to, to get a feel for what it's like to, to live in that world and to be, you know, be part of that world. They've gone through painstaking research to get that accurate. If it makes you want to run the game, then it's a good choice. We don't have to be hard and fast about history because history is only on our world. So what do you guys think of pirate genre? Is Pirate of the Caribbean, is that, is that like sort of the best for adventure, for, for gaming version, you think? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Blood. I mean, hey, any of the pirate movies, especially the pirate movies of the 40s and 50s, are, are just as good. You're somebody who's playing Fringeworthy. You're going to sit down and you're going to develop a world. You have three movies that were they were filmed almost pretty much back-to-back. They got pretty good continuity. They did pretty good world development. They're not my favorite movies. I thought they were fine. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend loves them. But I think like, they make a good setting for, for a gaming situation. I find them way too fantastic. For, for Fringeworthy, you think? I would be much more along the lines of uh, Captain Blood. Or Flynn. Or... They did a lot of stuff on those movies that when you watch the movies, you're going to see all kinds of flaws. They're not as polished and stuff. But they, they did all kinds of interesting things that normally wouldn't happen. And they also included a kind of a, a heroics, uh, a, a kind of a mindset of, of adventurism that I think is very appealing to explorers. Swashbuckling. Yes, very swashbuckling. Not just posturing, not just, okay, I can do a backflip and also attack you with my swords. There was an all-out, do-anything kind of attitude amongst all the guys that are fighting. So, Bruce, you sound like you might be partial to like the Horatio Hornblower movies. You know, I, I think I might be, except I've never seen a single one of them. <laughs> oh, I think you would like them. They're really good movies at that time period, but they're not over the top. 
The hardest part about all anything doing with pirates is, is getting the people onto the boat and finding <laughs> a reason for them to be there and what to do. Because, you know. One of the genres we haven't touched on, I and mean, we kind of touched on the post-apocalyptic and the zombie genre and such, but what do you guys think about horror? And, and I'm going to start this one off because I happen to have a specific horror author that I like who's a great influence, and that's uh, Mr. Scott Sigler. You can get any of his stuff for free. It's, it's all podcast, audiobook, podcast, and such. So if you're listening to this, you have the means and, and the wherefore to, to listen to his stuff. And I'm a big fan of his, if you can tell. For the Fringeworthy podcast, you know, I'm, I'm going to give a reason why he's, you know, why he's important. Because everything he does, all of his horror stuff, is science-based. He does not make monsters. He, he gives reasons for these things to exist nothing is supernatural so when he creates something or he does something in one of his stories it's always based in science which is you know is, is very um amenable to uh, fringeworthy so if you want to create some kind of uh, fringeworthy situation you can take one of the sigler books and you can kind of make that happen to the party and make them deal with that you know we should create the sigler node where prime is the infected universe and then the alternates would take you to different time zones in his timeline. The one thing about doing horror, horror is almost the antithesis of a lot of the other stories that we're talking about. Because most characters who are infringeworthy are interested in finding things that make them more powerful, while horror is about being powerless. So you're going to have to get your players to buy in on this before you start saying, you know, I'm going to mess with you or it's time to retire these characters and let's do it with a real bang. Right, because otherwise it's not horror. They're not yeah. scared. I did horror when I did that zombie world. Mm. And it didn't really happen very often, but it happened one time and that was where one of the uh, characters came out of the portal and he got mobbed. And he's like, well, am I okay? And I said, well... They're all over you. You're in your suit, but you can feel them grinding their teeth against the fabric of your suit, and they're beginning to pinch at your skin underneath. They're beginning to tear at the muscles underneath your skin because they're biting so hard. If they keep at this, they're going to sooner or later start tearing through the fabric, and then they're really going to start getting some flesh off of you. And, and he had to wait for everybody else in the party to fight these monsters long enough to get them off of him. And I kept coming back to him saying, yeah, yeah, they started, they've, they've gotten through your ankle. You can feel one of them's teeth grinding against your ankles. He tears the flesh off. Ugh. Nothing major, minor wounds. But he was just going, man, you guys got to get me out of here. I'm, I'm over here getting hurt. <laughs> you could see him squirming. He really was afraid. You could see me just counting off rounds. And he says, if, you know, I'm going to lose something. He actually lost a hand. Ugh. Finally got through where his glove was, and he literally chewed his hand off. Nice. You know, another thing, uh, the movie was called The Mist. Yes. It's a Stephen King story. I don't know how good the story is because I never read it. They rendered it pretty well in The Mist, except for it was the uber stupid plot. Right. Where someone has to do something stupid in order to move the plot along. Right. Get rid of all that, you know, because you're the characters, they're not. I mean, you can include some of them if you want or whatever, but... They're red but shirts. What I would do is, is I would make it like a malfunctioning portal. 
it's connecting to the portal directly across the pathway. You know, like it's an alternate and there's another portal that's an alternate. And for some reason, the two have become synced. And anything that steps through the one portal doesn't go into the pathway. It automatically goes through the other portal. And maybe even the, the fringe-worthy circuit has been shut down. So that's how these creatures are wandering into the world. Maybe even they go to the other world first so that when they come into this world, they know what's, you know, they get an idea of what's going on. They're like, these are the creatures from directly across the pathway. Well, somehow this thing is short-circuited or something. And the mission would basically be to shut it down so that, so that these creatures would stop coming through. Maybe even, you know, would take one of the characters just filling with one of the crystals at the pylon constantly until he figured out how to uh, shut it down. Here's an idea, Blix. You have two warps that are on exactly the same location on two different worlds. Okay. Causing resonate between their universes. So what you have to do is, is that you have to, you know, get a crystal and you have to move one of the warps, the warp on your side. Mm-hmm away from the other mm-hmm. one and then that would break the connection and then the portal would work correctly well there you go but i'm just saying i can see where the mist could be a fringe worthy adventure in that way and that's the kind of thing you know you have to think of when you're you're trying to translate a movie or a book or a tv show or a cartoon or wh- whatever you know an idea you had you have to take and you have to say where's the portal what's the mission what's the point what are the characters going to do I think you can do that with most influences, you know, just about any story. You can you can kind of you can kind of do that if you answer those questions. Now, if you're talking about horror, I had a prime world that went to a little place called Arkham and Innsmouth and a few other places in the Cthulhu Mythos universe. And the players, when they realized they were in the Cthulhu universe, wanted to go right right, right back through that portal before they cut on anything. <laughs> I refuse to read any books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't have to read books to get, get screwed over in that world, you know? No, you don't. I thought we had covered everything, but we could, there's one we haven't covered. We haven't covered comedy. Now, comedy can't be forced, as we've talked about before, mm-hmm. okay? But what you can do is you can take someone's genius, put the characters in that world, and just let it play out itself. And I'm thinking a really good world for that is Discworld. The characters come out, and they're in Discworld, and hilarity ensues. You don't have to do anything. You just play the world the way it is, and it's going to be funny. Especially if they come out in Ankh Morpork. After I walk down the street, they'll realize my gun's gone, the crystals are gone, all my money's gone. (laughs) If you're going to do that, you need to have read the books. You need to know what you're doing. If you don't, don't do it. Yeah. Don't even begin to do it. Same thing with Zan. Like we see with Zan. Zan's another one. You have to read the books and know what's going on there. Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. If you want to go along the ideas of the Hitchhiker's Guide, there should always be unexpected things happening all yeah. the time. And that's what makes most comedy work is where something unexpected happens. So mm-hmm. it looks really dire. Things are really bad. And then... This is where the stupid plot works because 90% of the time they get away because somebody, the bad guy, or whoever the antagonist is, does something stupid. Like when they sent Marvin to stop the giant killer robot. Marvin wa- walks up to him and he says, you know, hello, little robot. And Marvin says, hello. And he says, what are you doing here? Oh, they've sent me to stop you. You? Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Whoa. Uh, can you guess what they gave me to fight you with? 
Well, it's got to be something pretty tough. Um, is it a force blast laser? Um, what's that? Oh, this thing. And he blows out a wall. No, not one of those. You know, and he goes through this whole thing, and he finally says, well, what is it? He says, they gave me nothing, nothing. He says, that makes me really mad. I'm going to blow out this wall. I'm going to blow out that wall. I'm going to blow out the floor. Oops. <laughs> right. What a depressingly stupid robot. And then he goes chunk, chunk, chunk off in the distance, going back to wherever he's going to go. And then they did that all the time. So people were always doing crazy, stupid stuff. That's made it work. All right. So I think we've pretty much covered just about everything I can think of. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you got some ideas of some sources for inspiration for the games, for your adventures. Don't be afraid to try new things and to mix things up. Whatever your favorite story is, there's probably a good adventure in it. So we hope that you go out there and run it, and we'll see you again next time. And until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.